Hello, everybody. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And I'm back here today with Mr. Don Mike. Hi, Don. Hi, Brandon. <laughs> For those of you who have not listened to Don Mike's episode, um, Don, would you mind giving yourself a little intro? Sure. My name is Don Mike, otherwise known as uh, Pup Rogue. I've been in the LA leather community for about 20 years. I am a pup, a boy. I'm a diaper boy, ABDL, and uh, I am also a saint. Uh, I was sainted by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence as St. Bernard of the Consecrated Canines. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it. Those of you that that haven't heard Don Mike's episode, he's episode number one on okay, iTunes. If you have not heard my episode, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yes, kidding. go I'm back joking. and listen. No, it's just so funny because <laughs> people come, come on and they're like, oh, I heard your bonus episode. Uh, and then I heard this episode. I'm like, well, did you listen to Don's? Like, oh no, go back and listen to the first one. <laughs> that was the first one. It was the first one. Sometimes people like jump ahead so that they catch the show and it's really in stride. But I see. You, know, yeah, you, yeah. you hit the ground running. So it wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> it was a great episode because you are amazing. Well, thanks, Don. Uh, well, you know, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing today because this is a little bit different than what I've done in the past. Uh, typically, what I, I do is I, I have my regular podcast episodes that are aired on iTunes and Spotify and whatnot. And what that is, is really personal stories of, of people in the leather community. And today, we're actually going to hear a little bit about Steve Ganzel, who is no longer with us. Yeah. Steve was a very close friend of mine. And he, uh, he was very involved in Christopher Street West, which pe most people know as L.A. Pride. And uh, he served on the board for years. He was, and one of his things that he did, which was his pride and joy for that organization, was Erotic City, which was the one area of pride where um, it was 18 and over, and it was a celebration of alternate gay sexuality. So you would go down there, and there would be everything from uh, demonstrations of BDSM, and uh, you know there was some of the porn vendors and, and different and the Tom of Finland organization, uh, Tom of Finland Foundation. And and one thing I remember he would always tell me was, you know, just come here and play, come and hang out and play because instead of setting up a scene so people could sit and watch, if you're just playing and having fun, they'll get more out of it because they'll see what it's like to have a real interaction. And then afterwards, if they want to ask questions, then they'll come up and talk to you as opposed to having somebody, you know, trying to teach them because nobody goes to pride to learn, like sit in a class and learn. They go to have fun. Right. So if they come and hang out and they see you actually playing, it kind of has a bit more of an impact, you know? So anyway, uh, the reason uh, we were going to do this today is because it's the beginning of pride. Well, it's pri we're probably right in the middle of pride season by the time this runs. And um, when I, I used to have a podcast called Gay Cetera, and it was back in 2013. I think I only did it for about a year. And um, I sat down with Steve and we talked about Pride. Now, Pride in L.A. has changed drastically over the years. And there was a bit of a controversy a few years ago. And everything just turned around. And Steve and a whole bunch of other people left the board. I, I don't, I'm not bringing this stuff up. So this has nothing to do with any of that. This was back in the day when everything was was, and there 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 was always controversy with Pride because everybody wants Pride to be their own thing, and uh, and it can't be. You have to make you know Pride is for everyone. So it ha as an organization, it has to appeal to the mm -hmm. widest group of people. And so that's that's kind of the thing that we were talking about was amidst all the discussion of what is pride and why isn't it this and why is it this and that's exactly the point that we were trying to make and he was such an amazing person and i'm so happy that this will get out there and people can hear you know 
hear what he had to say. Well, I, I was listening back and, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, it's really interesting just to hear what was going on back then, the dynamic between, you know, I guess kind of the politics of, of pride, oh, yeah. but, uh, you know, when you, if, when you're listening back to this episode, remember that this is sort of like a time capsule. You're sort of getting a, a just a snapshot of, of 2013. Um, so none of this is really current. <laughs> so you don't have to uh, think about it in the sense of, of, of like, these are issues that are happening right now. Remember, this is just sort of like a blast from the past kind of episode. Um, could we talk a little bit about of about Steve Gonzel, what he stood for, what his platform was, and sort of his legacy? Because I, I've not been fortunate enough to, to meet him before his passing. Oh, uh, Steve worked with the VA. He worked with a lot of different organizations. He was on the board of the L.A. Leather Coalition, who runs the Mr. L.A. Leather Contest uh, for for years. And he really, I mean, he he his heart was ensconced in the leather community and and. and a lot of other communities as well. But as far as leather goes, he had such a big heart and he just wanted people to, and you know what? He wanted to sift through the bullshit. And I think that's one of the things I admired most about him because when you get into leather politics, things can get a little crazy and people can lose sight of what they're doing. And he was, he was bare bones and brass tacks. I mean, he was like, he'll tell you like it is. And some people were a little afraid of him. Some people were a little intimidated, but everybody loved him. And, and I always said, uh, <laughs> it'll kill me for saying this, but uh, I always said, if you walk up to Steve and you get introduced to him and he, he kind of, not insults you, but if you think he's too gruff or he's too, it, it means he likes you. Because if he didn't like you, he would just ignore you. You know what I mean? And it was rare <laughs> he met people he didn't like, but he didn't suffer fools gladly. So if, if he didn't like you, you knew, but if he insulted you or he, he was playful that way. And he loved to fuck with people. So I always said, if he kind of says something and you're, you're taken aback, that means he likes you. <laughs> and you'll, you you hear a lot about that right off the bat. Uh, I love how he just has like this kind of banter and attitude with you. He He's like, are you going to talk like that for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> that's, and that's how we were, that we were like that all the time. And I, I just, oh, I love, I miss him so much. He was so wonderful. So you actually have his leg? With <laughs> yes, uh, Steve. Uh, Steve had diabetes, and he unfortunately had a, uh, some health problems in his later years, and he had to have his leg amputated. And uh, <laughs> all right, I'm going to share this real quick story with you. Uh, I had been at the uh, the puppy pit at the IML uh, International Mister Leather contest. There's a gigantic puppy party, and there's all these human pups running around. And one year they had a bunch of zombies for some unknown reason uh, <laughs> attack the puppies playfully. And uh, they threw out these little squeaky toys that were zombie body parts. And I just happened to get a zombie foot. And so when he was in the hospital recovering from his operation, I walked into his room and I said, hey, Steve, look what I found in the hall. And I tossed it into his lap. <laughs> and what did and, he say? Oh, he laughed so hard. And that that's our friendship. And so when he passed on, um, the, the, he, he, his, his, he actually had, a uh, what do you call that? A prosthetic leg. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this was, I, I was bequeathed his prosthetic leg. So he, he's with me all the time, figuratively, spiritually, and quite literally. <laughs> That's really awesome. <laughs> and I cherish it. It's, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't look at this and smile. So. 
Oh, that's sweet. Well, you know, you could really, if, if I had Steve on the podcast, I, I would have so many questions for him, but you just really get a sense of who he is and his personality and what it was like to be around him and, and, and just be in his presence by listening to you guys talk in this episode. So I hope our listeners really enjoy. Is there anything that we should be listening for in this podcast or be aware of be, before we dive right in? Well, I, you know, one thing is keep in mind, listen to his passion, because you could tell how much he cares for people and he cares about this community and, and the LGBTQ plus community as well as the leather community. And, um, you know, this is outside of our current uh, situation. So this was, you know, back in 2013. So that won't be addressed. But mm -hmm. as far as I, I think that when it comes to issues of pride, um, in the gay LGBTQ community, there are things that even though this was 2013, there are, there are ideas that are relevant today. And even it's outside of pride festivals and parades, self-pride and what it means to think of who you are as, a, as anything that's outside of the bubble, you know? And I, I think that maybe that's something is that even though maybe the details aren't current, but the, the themes are. Right, right. They're universal. All right. Well, I'm so excited to, to take a listen and uh, we'll see you guys at the end of the podcast. Welcome to another edition of Gay Cetera. I'm your host, Don Mike, and I'm sitting here with my very good friend, Steve Ganzel. Hello, Steve. Hello, Don. Now, Steve here is... Don, are you going to use that voice the whole time? <laughs> That's my announcer voice. Don't, don't read on my parade, Steve. Speaking <laughs> of which... <laughs> Jeez, Don, that was the worst segue of all time. <laughs> So, uh, so Steve is on the board of directors of Christopher Street West. Do you want to explain a little bit about what exactly that is and why it is called that? The year following the Christopher Street riots, the, the Stonewall riots, um, activists here in Los Angeles, talking to the folks in New York, said, you know what, it, we should do something to, to mark this. And so Los Angeles decided to have a parade. Um, and so... Reverend Bob Humphreys, um, Troy Perry, and Morris Kite all came together and fought the city of Los Angeles and the LAPD for the right to have a parade in Los Angeles to celebrate um, kind of the commemoration of the Stonewall Riots and the beginning of the gay civil rights movement. And so the organization that continues to produce that event was named Christopher Street West out of recognition of the Stonewall Riots. Nice. Is it Christopher Street East, or is it just called Christopher Street? Uh, Christopher Street is the street that um, runs through where the, the where the activities actually happened. It's on Christopher Street. Right. It's actually this tiny little street with a little park and Aww. dorky looking bar. <laughs> <laughs> what is? That, but is that what uh, New York Pride is called? No, they're called uh, Pride New York or New York. Oh, Pride or yeah. see, now that's I always for some odd reason I always thought that there was like New York was Christopher Street Northeast. And... There is a Christopher Street um, in Europe. But I, and I forget which one it is. Theirs is uh, in German, if I remember right. Ooh. Yeah. And how do you say that in German? 
I don't, because I don't speak German. <laughs> uh, now, so getting right to the meat of the, the story, we're, never gonna, we're not even going to dip our toes into the pool. We're just going to dive head first. <laughs> so I've been seeing a lot of articles online of um, people complaining, which is something people like to do online, I'm fine, yeah. uh, complain a lot. And, and uh, complaining about pride, saying things like pride is too commercial, which they've been saying for decades. And uh, the fact that... Uh, it's not political enough. It's not enough of a demonstration and a protest. And we're not being, uh, you know, conscious of our history. And it's all about a big party. And we should stop doing this and do something different. Have you seen these? I, I, I would even quote an article because I've seen a bunch of them. Yeah. No, I think it happens all the time. It's yeah. a pretty constant refrain. And I'm not sure that I completely disagree with all parts of it. I think that one of the things that happened was we turned a protest movement into a parade. Um, and I certainly understand the kind of the enthusiasm for that anarchist model of, you know, let's take over the street and change the way things are. I think that that's a very powerful um, process. But I'm not sure that that's exactly the mission of Christopher Street West or the, the mission of um, Pride in Los Angeles. It is a celebration. It is a party. It is the chance that after doing, you know, every year, after doing more work to move the agenda forward, to come together and celebrate the advances that we've made and to enjoy each other's company. Um, is there a need for a protest? Sure. You know, I, I think that that's a different process, though. Yeah. See, my, my whole point of view on this We've been protesting for 40, 50 fucking years. It's about fucking time we have a party. You know what I mean? Like, God damn it, we deserve a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes me so mad. And there's this whole idea of, and I've seen it a lot more lately online, if I don't like something, no one else can. And if I don't like it, it has to change. Ironically, most of the people who say, I don't like this and it has to change, are not willing to make that change. They want to bitch about it until it changes, but they want to sit back and watch someone else make the changes. You know, I think one of the things that I see is that people will make a suggestion, mm. and then that's the end of the conversation. So somebody says, you know, I think it would be great if we did this, whatever that is. And then without exploring the possibilities of that or the consequences of that or what the risks and benefits of that are, they've made the suggestion without exploring it. So it's almost this feeling of, like, if I make a suggestion, then people are supposed to act on it, as opposed to if I make the suggestion, I should probably be the, be the one that tries to make this work. Yeah. And so it's real easy to say online, I think that this is what we should do differently. If you don't know what the consequences of that are, there may be really good reasons why nobody wants to do it that way, and you wouldn't be aware of it because all you've done is just made the suggestion. Yeah. And, you know, and even more so than just online, I've been part of several different organizations over the years. And I, I always say there's a, a group of people who are, I like to call the we shoulds because they mm -hmm. will come to meetings and say, we should host this event. We should have this charity event. We should throw this party. And we should always translates to you should and all show up. And the problem with that is that there's a lot of people who have really great ideas. Yeah. Not all of them are practical. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that that there's limits that they may not be aware of. And when they're not aware of it, it just seems like people are kind of stuck instead of, and that their idea has been rejected because they haven't come to the table and said, 
here's my suggestion, and then explore it with the people who may be able to explain why it would or wouldn't work. Right. Um, so what winds up happening is is that they have a pretty loud voice online where they can say, I think that we ought to do the parade this way, or we ought to do the festival this way. And then there's never any continuation of that conversation that says, well, here's the problem with that. Right. Yeah, because usually if you're spouting off online, you're talking to other people who are your friends as opposed to people who might be on the board of directors of whatever organization mm -hmm. or the organizers of whatever mm -hmm. event. No, I, I totally get that. You know, one of the things that, that's happened just recently, very interesting to me, is that I was contacted by folks from WeHoville, mm -hmm. um, an online, uh, kind of an online newspaper kind of thing. And they were talking about, you know, ideas that had been proposed. And then the way it got presented to me was, is is Christopher Street West going to leave West Hollywood and go to Los Angeles? Well, first of all, is that question kind of like, have you or have you not stopped beating your wife? They're asking the wrong question. That that's not that's it's it's a fallacy of logic to even ask the question that way. Yeah. But have there been times that people have thought, "Gee, wouldn't it be great if?" I don't walk past any big park and think, not think, "Wow, this would kind of be a cool place to have a festival." Um, is there a conversation about that that's going to move that agenda forward? No. Has it ever been a voted agenda item? In a, a CSW board meeting? No. But there was this kind of like, can't we engage you in this kind of conversation, trying to, trying to make something up and then get people all kind of riled up. Um, in the 35th year, we had this really great experience where we had people come together and say, you know, look, here's some suggestions. And we had all kinds of people from the community who made all kinds of suggestions. Some of them were incredibly creative. Some of them weren't terribly practical, but they were wonderfully creative, and certainly things that we would have thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? Um, you know, in my fantasy, I would love to have a city, whichever city, completely subsidize this event mm -hmm. so that there's no person who wants to attend it that can't get in, that nobody has to break out their wallet to come to Prague. But that's not a very practical way of having a festival. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Well, and there are cities that do that. And San Francisco is one of them. So when you compare Los Angeles to San Francisco, it's kind of an impractical kind of decision. They, they work differently. What we can do is make sure that that kid who doesn't have enough money to come can still come by, by volunteering and then getting into the festival because they volunteered. You know, and that turns out to be, I think, in some ways, a much better way of doing it than just saying, okay, well, let's, you know, throw open the gates and anybody who wants to come can. Right. But, in fact, what winds up happening is the kid who doesn't have any money or anybody who doesn't have any money winds up meeting people, working with them, and, and connecting to the community in a way that they wouldn't if we did it the other way. Mm -hmm. now, and, and that's one thing I've noticed in a lot of online criticisms is that people will say, well, why do you have to pay so much? And, oh, the people at CSW are getting rich and this and that. And, you know, there's all kind of speculation about why we have to charge. The truth is it costs a lot of money to put on a street festival or put on a, a festival. You know, every year we come up with a theme. I thought the best theme that I've ever heard proposed was this shit ain't cheap. <laughs> I, I thought that should be like on every festival <laughs> notice. It should be hanging from banners and stuff. Um, it, it is very expensive. And um, 
I think that there's a lot of work that people do to try to make sure that you're getting your money's worth. And it doesn't always work. Somebody comes and says, yeah, this wasn't, this wasn't doing it for me. They should go to something else. Yeah. You know? Well, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, when people have these ideas of, oh, well, this should be a little bit more of a historic or more of a protest or this or that, I say bring it on. I think if you have these ideas, and when I stand up and say this isn't what CSW is to me, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. What I'm saying is, you know, just because you don't like how CSW is, if you don't like it, don't go. And if you want to do something else, do something else. I would love to go to something that was a little more introspective of our retrospective of our uh, history or uh, or something that's a little more politically oriented I would be so up for doing something like that if somebody would put that on you know I've been doing this long enough <laughs> damn it long enough that I can remember when country western was on the um, tennis courts mm-hmm. and in and is that the, whenever they had the pelican put down on the record player <laughs> <laughs> like in the Flintstones. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You know, I would think that you're probably going to want to edit out the part where I go, fuck you. <laughs> no, it's, it, we, are, we are NSF, what is it? N- not, not safe for work. work. NSFW, so we're good. You yeah. say fuck, fuck you. Fuck so, um, yeah, it was back a while ago, but it was, um, and inside, in the, the, um, indoor pavilion where country western is now was this kind of historical art fair kind of thing it was a mausoleum nobody went in there wow it was not a draw and so as much as we might think wow wouldn't it be great if the kind of the reaction to people was yeah not so interesting what we did this year was use the garage, the, the parking structure garage, mm, I and saw did this historical and art, for, and that really took off. For some reason, it was done differently. The people who were involved in it were more creative about it, whatever it was, and I think that that will continue to build. And so I, I get that we all have this kind of you know conversation about there's people in the community who aren't familiar with our history. This is a great way of addressing that, but I don't think that's the same thing as us suddenly becoming the one archives and not having a dance associated with it. Right. And that's kind of, everybody has something that they think is the most important thing. And so how do you try to um, do a festival that reflects all of those things? Mm-hmm. means that there's going to be somebody who thinks that their, their interest got short shrift. Right. Well, and, and also, I think there are a lot of people that would be interested in doing something historical or political or what have you, but you look at the thousands and thousands of people who come to Pride every year, and I think to say, we're not going to have this huge, gigantic celebration with music and dancing and booze and everything else in lieu of doing this nice little introspective thing where everyone gets together and stands in reverence and, you know, we all feel solidarity. I don't think that thousands and thousands of people who are coming to party are going to enjoy that. I mean, they might, but at the same time, would they want to give up this weekend of partying to do that? And like I said before, I think we deserve a party, you know? I I, I have a weird vision about all the dancing. Mm-hmm. I think that it's more than just a celebration. I think there's something incredibly powerful about that. I think it harnesses this deep, powerful, erotic energy in a way that keeps things going. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the furnace in, you know, 
in this machine that is the movement. It charges people up. They come away with this thing. They've had this experience. They've been rubbing up against each other. It's got enormous kinds of boner energy. And when you harness that, that makes stuff happen. Yeah. So this idea that it's just a celebration, I think there's something more to it than that, that there is a purpose to the celebration. If you look back and say, you know, look, anciently, this is how cultures kind of kept themselves going. There was that Bacchanalian celebration that said, this is what brings on the spring. So I think that there's something about that that is archetypal. And so when people are sitting there and they're dancing and there's this incredible energy, it's not just, well, they're all fucked up and moving around and it's stupid. Yeah. Are there some people that are like, you know, drinking too much? Damn right. And we do everything we can to try to deal with that and keep that from happening. But I think there's something really, really powerful. If we stopped having that celebration, it would do damage to the very serious parts of this movement. Oh, yeah. That, that that's an important piece of that. And uh, one of the other things I hear people say is, well, you know, it's all a bunch of young people getting drunk. You know what? No, the, the, the quote is, young people use it as just excuse to drink. You know what people, young people use an excuse to drink? Thursday. Oxygen. Yeah, Thursday. Any yeah. day that ends in a while. Young people are going to drink because they're young and they want to go out and drink. Yeah. So the fact that it's pride is, you know, another excuse for them to drink, great. It's a good excuse, I think. <laughs> you know, hey, if you're going to drink for something, cheers to, you know... Uh, but I, one thing that I do like to say about Pride, and this is one of my favorite stories. I, I've told all my friends, so I'm so happy to share this on the, the th on the show. Some years ago, we were in the parade, and my friend Sean and I, we were in this group called the LA Boys of Leather, and we had been doing the parade every year. And we were just, it was one of those years where we were just not having it. And we got up, we're both bitchy, and we're like, why do we do this every year? Every year we get up early, and we have to fight the traffic, we have to trudge all out here in our leather, and this and that. And the whole morning, we were just bitchy. So we're standing there How did we know that that was different? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so, uh, so we're standing there both just being complete bitches, and all of a sudden this disco music starts up, and there's a truck in front of us. It was uh, Avatar, uh, a leather club we have in Los Angeles. And, and this guy that we're both friends with, Alexi, he has been around back before Stonewall. A lot of people don't know this, but L.A. had their own protests and riots uh, regarding gay. In a year before the Stonewall riots, yeah. there was an action at the Black Cat Club and New Faces, which at one point, Alexi did own. Yeah. And, and he's uh, been in every CSW parade. Since the founding. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, incredible. So, and he was a, a, a person of the year or what he was, was it? honored by CSW. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Because I carried his banner yeah. in front of his car. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so at this particular year, he was up on the Avatar truck, and there's this disco music blaring, and this man, at the, at the time, he was 70, I think. Mm -hmm. at 70 years old, this man is dancing his little feet off. He is just having a blast. He has this big smile on his face, and he's doing his little disco moves. And Sean and I looked at that, looked at it, and I, I started to cry, and I said, you know what? He's dancing because he remembers a time when you couldn't. Right. And I said, you know what? No matter how bitchy we are and how, how many times we don't feel like we want to be here or we don't think this is worth it, this is why we march. So we march because we want to have fun. We march, but you know, whether we want to have fun or not, we march here because we need to be here. Years and years ago, I was sitting in a hot tub in Palm Springs, and there was kind of this, it was interesting, there was like three separate age cohorts. Mm -hmm. There were some older guys, there was the guys that I was with, and then there was a bunch of guys that were younger. And um, 
there was this conversation that was going about the guys, the older guys were talking about what it was like for them when they would be in a club and they couldn't touch each other or they couldn't dance with each other or that they did these things like they would dance and they'd have a woman out on the floor so that they could avoid the police entrapment. Mm -hmm. I had never experienced that, but I knew of it. I had known people who had been through that. And then there was this younger bunch that were kind of looking at all of us like, what the fuck? Really? Because they, they couldn't even imagine what that was like. And so there's this thing about remembering that, that when somebody like Alexi and a lot of other people are dancing, it's for all those times that they couldn't. You're absolutely right. I, I had an interesting experience this year because um, I'd screwed up my foot. And so usually what happens is I had marched with the board and we kind of decided not do that yet this year and then i would turn around and run back and come back and go with the leather continue and um i kind of realized crap i'm not going to be able to do that and so i was riding on a motorcycle and it was a very different perspective um and i i had been i was in other prize afterwards i was in um, san diego and i noticed the same thing happening that there's all these people there's hundreds of thousands of people um, lining the street. And then this contingent of people comes by who's kind of saying, you know what, we do the stuff that you think about and are kind of afraid you might not be able to do that. Or you might, you, maybe you shouldn't do that. So every guy who's ever swatted his lover's ass while they were having sex and kind of thought, is it okay if I do that? is now standing in a parade, cheering on the guys who are like, fuck, we'll do it right here in the middle of the street. <laughs> and it gives them permission. Yeah. There's this incredibly powerful thing about this thing that we're doing. That if you're celebrating, you may choose to not want to drink as much as somebody else or to dance or to do any of those things, but you can. Mm -hmm. There's a place that you can do that. And so... You know, I hear the criticisms. I I get. I I I walk the festival every year and think, why is there a guy selling kitchen cabinets? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but he pays his bill, and you know, he makes it possible for somebody who says we're trying to recruit people to change laws, or in you know, up until a year ago, to to fight against don't ask, don't tell, or to fight against DOMA, or to fight. You know, four things that we're about because that person is paying for his commercial space. There's somebody else in the festival who, as a not-for-profit, is able to afford and recruit people to be politically active or to be supported by their organization or to find something that they need that is important to them. Yeah. And so I get it. I, you know, I'm not going to buy kitchen cabinets at Pride. I can't even imagine doing that. But I'm kind of <laughs> glad that guy's there. Yeah. Well, and something that, I'll, and maybe I, I tend to look at things in a very strange way. I have a very abstract think? way of thinking, right? But to me, I remember a time when uh, an actor would be on TV and be outed, and advertisers would pull their advertising yeah. from that yeah. show yeah. because they didn't want to be associated with someone who was gay. Here we are in 2013, where people are paying for the privilege of advertising to the gay community. So to me, that thrills me to no end. I love seeing the beer ads in the back of Frontiers magazine with the rainbow-colored beer bottles and, you know, companies that don't usually have anything to do with whether you're gay or straight marketing to us because they know that we, you know, we are 
their con- consumers. But don't miss that there's a shadow to that. Mm. that they're in it for the money. You know, they're in it for the money, but they're also not afraid of losing money I, by being I, boycotted by the other side. I hear you. And I think that sometimes what we forget is that piece of it. Yeah. That it's like, okay, they're just here sucking the money out of our wallets, and they think that, you know, well, let's go get the gays and their money. Yeah. Um, I think there's much more to it than that. And so when you've met these people and worked with them, it's a lot, it's a very different experience. Yeah. Um, you know, to deal with the straight allies who are excited to be a part of the movement and are generous and speaking on behalf of their corporations and providing that generosity to make this thing happen, it's a real different experience than that kind of criticism that I hear, which is, well, you know, whatever company is just in it for the money. Of course they're in it for the money. That's their responsibility to their shareholders is to make the company financially successful. But they are willing to put their money on the line, and they get it that there are some pretty hateful, small-minded people who will boycott them and protest them and do all kinds of stuff, and they're saying, "Fuck it, we're in." Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot too. I think that there are people who uh, bitch about, "Oh, they're just in it for the money." Like I heard somebody complaining about Dan Savage one time. Oh, he's just doing this for the money. He did it gets better to sell his book, and he does his podcast just to make money. You know what? That's what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a service, and he has a great show. He helps people every day, and It Gets Better was an amazing thing. Now, the fact that he said, I could work a day job all day long, come home, and try to do this in the few hours I have at night or on the weekends, or he said, I could make this my career and spend all day doing this and make a living at it. I don't think he's in it. I don't know the man personally, but I like to think he's not in it just to make a buck because he could have done his column and his radio show and everything else that he does just to make a buck. Everything else he's done on top of that, I think kind of shows that he's just doing something he loves to do. You know, you know, I, I think I'm really, really fortunate that I have a job that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to believe that I'm so altruistic that if they stopped paying me, I'd show up anyway. But I know myself well enough to know that that's horseshit. <laughs> right. You know, I would go and do what I do someplace else that does pay me. Yeah, it is a job. The time that the board spends for CSW is all volunteer time. They spend an enormous amount of time, a lot of my colleagues, a lot more than I do, mm-hmm. dealing with all of the practical issues of what it's like to be on the board. And I'm, I'm, there are people who show up every now and then, they're kind of like, look, this board thing looks like it's a lot of fun. I think I'd like to do that. And when they find out what the time commitment is and and what they're involved in doing, it's for some of them, it's a deal breaker because it's it is a a huge time commitment and it's a lot of work and it's trying to deal with a festival and an event and an organization that isn't ours. We don't own it. We're trying to protect the legacy. Troy Perry is the last of the founders who's still alive. And, um, you know, I, Troy knows, and I've said, you know, there's no way I ever would have known him as, you know, the Reverend Troy, because I got about as much use for that as, you know, other useless things. I don't, (laughs) don't care. But he is a person I have enormous respect for him. And 
I kind of always have this thought in my head about, you know, he's kind of, he was there at the beginning, and he's turned it over to us. And we're a bunch of wingnuts trying to do the best job we can to keep this thing that is important going not just for him, not just for the people who founded it, but all the, the thousands of people who've been involved in it and all the hundreds of thousands of people who participate in it. Yeah. So I have to tell you, when I read the criticisms, I know that there's this reaction that's kind of like, oh, well, they just didn't hear. I think that people hear. I think that I know that we try to hear. I think there's sometimes we can say, well, yeah, that's not going to work, and this is why. You know, I have a conversation with our board members all the time about the people that we pick for entertainment because it's not something that I'm real familiar with. Mm -hmm. So when they say so and so is going to be our entertainment, I'm usually, you know, checking them. Like that's the advantage of having a smartphone is you can <laughs> pretend you're smart. And like, okay, so who the hell is this? Every now and then they'll hit one that is like, oh, thank God, there's some name recognition to this. <laughs> what I'm surprised about is how many people show up and they're really great and it's terrific. Now, I have to tell you, my new agenda, and this will be your like podcast, you know, this will be the piece of news that's just the deal for exclusive. you. Exclusive. <laughs> yes, you're exclusive. Gay exclusive. This is a gay setter exclusive, everyone. When I was in... San Diego, they had Amanda Lepore as their entertainment. Oh, nice. uh, for those of you who are checking it out online, you'll find it quickly. And I realized we've been making a horrible mistake. We've been getting people who have talent. <laughs> and, you know, that's completely unnecessary. What you need are people who are kind of crazy and outrageous. And that's much more entertaining than what we would normally think of as entertainment. It was the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen to see this this woman like dancing and singing and everybody's like, wow, she's just really strange, but they couldn't take their eyes off of it. And more and more people. So, you know, I think I'm going to recommend to the board that we just really transition from that whole idea of entertainment to more like spectacle. We yeah. just have weird people doing very weird things. Strange enough, that's how I pick my guests for the show. It is. So, <laughs> so thank I, you. I've noticed no. that. <laughs> You want me to start juggling chainsaws <laughs> now? Because they can't hear you juggling chainsaws sure on the they can. internet. Okay, uh, you know, and I, the I chainsaws think are running, Don. You know, they make that <laughs> yeah. noise. That's all they'll hear. I mean, they can't hear. Me. <laughs> then they and there will be that horrible yeah. ow. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> we can sew that back on. Don't right, worry. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I know y'all can hear the the icicle or the icicles. Jesus, the ice cubes ice cube. clinkling in the glass. We're having cocktails while we're doing the show, so. Good for us. You know, I, interesting you mentioned that. Um, because the board has made a commitment to each other that we don't drink during the festival. Why? Maybe you, that's the time you need to drink. Well, <laughs> I've seen how stressed it gets. It's, you need to have a cocktail or that, two. That, that weekend, it's literally like the entire weekend commitment. When you wow. go, When you go home, you take the radio with you in case something happens, you can respond immediately. Oh, jeez. And so, this is not that weekend. <laughs> we are having a cocktail. I'm having a cocktail. on the cock. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, uh, I, I've been, I haven't been to a lot of pride festivals across the country. I've been mm -hmm. to a few. When I came out in the 90s, the mid-90s in Pittsburgh, I remember going to my first pride festival. Now, it's a lot different today than it was back then, but I remember... Our parade was like two city blocks down Walnut Street, and it led out on this little park 
off of Fifth Avenue and Shadyside for all you Pittsburgh people who might be listening. Pittsburghers. Pittsburghers. <laughs> and and there was this little park with a half moon of booths, probably like mm-hmm. eight or nine, a little tiny stage that was a foot off the ground, and they would have local gay bands, of which there were three. Uh, a few local figures who were ballsy enough in the early, early to mid-90s to get up on a stage at a gay pride festival. And, yeah, it was free. And it was, you sat there going, gee, it's nice to be out in the sun. See, in Pittsburgh in the 90s, all the gay bars were in basements. It was, you weren't, you know, the Eagle was out in uh, an industrial park. And Pegasus was underground. And all these bars had, like, black windows you never could even see in. And you never saw people on the patio smoking or anything. So it, it was all very – we didn't really have a gay community. And even the place where there were a few gay bars in a row, people kind of considered it our gay neighborhood, but we really didn't have a gayborhood like we do in West Hollywood and, and, and Greenwich Village and all that. So so for us, we were thrilled that we could sit in a park and see you know a couple dozen gay people. We were thrilled to death. Coming to L.A. You mean a couple dozen gay people who were in the park and not in the bush? <laughs> no, it wasn't Shenley Park. Shenley Park was where the Fruit Loop uh, was. Okay. Uh, not that I know. I've never actually been to... Well, I've been there, but I've ne- never mind. So, but coming to L.A. and the pure spectacle of what Christopher Street West was... Because I came in 99, and I, don't, I went to my first Pride in, I think, 2002. And seeing the, the spectacle of it blew me away. I didn't come to the first few years because I was like... West Hollywood, people are gay all the time. You can walk down the street. There's, you know, patio bars and people walking in and out of stores holding hands and walking down the street. Not as my sister wanted to see gay men skipping down the street tossing rose petals. That's the idea my sister had of West Hollywood. But, uh... <laughs> that, that may be another festival. That would have been another day. Yeah, that, that's pride, right. Uh, but I, I, w- I didn't go because I thought... I come from a place where being gay was such a shameful thing, and, and it was really hard to be gay in Pittsburgh in the 90s, and then coming here where you're just people are out in the sunshine. So I didn't think pride was necessary until I went, and then I was like, this is serious. Hey, it's some serious drinking, it's some serious partying, it's some serious fun, but it's serious. Um, I, you, you've made me think of an experience that we had a couple of years ago. Um, most of the Pride organizations, even the ones in small cities, mm-hmm. are connected through the organization called Interpride. Mm-hmm. And Interpride has a conference, and um, we had attended, and there was a really interesting presentation on pride in hostile environments. Mm-hmm. And so the people from Sri Lanka spoke about what their experience was. And one of the people who spoke was this guy named Slava from Belarus. And we made a decision as a pride board that we wanted to be supportive of the people in Belarus. And so we actually hosted him as a guest here for our celebration and kind of had this experience of trying to talk to people about what it was like and and giving him an experience of what it was like for us. It was hard to imagine the level of hostility that Belarus is one of the most restrictive countries in the world, that um, they're under a dictatorship, they continue to have the influence of the KGB, and that Slava basically traveled here putting his life in jeopardy. That as we set this up, um, he had to get a visa, 
and so he had to travel on his Belarusian passport to Moscow, get the visa, use his Russian passport to come here. Wow. Um, and he was here for, I forget now, a while, uh, about two weeks, including the time of the festival. And he was staying with me, and so we got to know each other really well. And my friends kind of adopted him. Oh. And um, John Heilman from the City Council of West Hollywood has an international affairs conference about GLBT issues across the world. And he asked him to speak there, and he gave an incredible discussion of what it was like for him in Belarus. And he was given the rainbow key to the city of West Hollywood, which my understanding is that the rainbow key is still in the hallway in the city hall, because if he were to take the award back with him, it would have put him in serious jeopardy. Wow. He smuggled pride flags in his luggage because they couldn't get them, didn't have them. Their pride festival is a handful of gay people watching a movie, and that's what they consider their festival because that's all they can do. Um, when he returned, we were able to keep in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing we heard was that he and a friend had been in a bar and the guy who owned the bar waited until people left. And then they, the guy and his sons closed the door and beat them. And from that time on, we've been really reluctant to even have contact because we know that the government is monitoring all of the internet communications. Oh, jeez. So, the people who are now in Belarus are even more separated than they were before. The people who are fighting Putin's government in, in Russia now are people who came up through Pride, and so we know some of those people. And what they're going through is hard for us to imagine. It connects us. The celebration that we're having, the progress that we've made, is what they're asking for. And so there's this incredible connection across that. And when you ask about, you know, should we be protesting or should we be celebrating, it was interesting, interesting for me to see Slava's reaction to the celebration. It was like, this is what we want. It's nice to be able to see the vision of this made real somewhere. And we've seen that in these little prides that, that, that are in small communities and that they just keep building and building and building and they take the experiences that we've had and build on those and we try to share our experience with them and say look here's mistakes that we've made so you guys don't have to make them and here's the support that we can provide and it's fascinating to see how somebody who's in you know some small midwest town is suddenly having their first pride celebration and it will be in the park there's usually not a parade. It's a bunch of people, you know, hanging out and doing all kinds of crazy things. But it's the beginning. Yeah. Well, from what I understand, in Pittsburgh, they've gone whole hog with this thing. Yeah, it's, they have they've celebrate. closed down yeah. downtown uh, Liberty Avenue, yep. which back in the 90s, I would have never dreamed would ever happen in Pittsburgh. I would think New York, L.A., Chicago, but I would have never dreamed Pittsburgh would close down a main artery in downtown and, and have mm -hmm. gay pride. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So kudos. I, I, I love my little city. Yeah. 
I, I've been at things where people ask me to introduce myself. I always think it's really horribly boring mm. because it's like, yeah, let's get on to whatever it is that you're here for, not, you know, who mm. you are. But I was thinking you're doing this really cool podcast, but people may not know who you are. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, Don's is very interesting. You're kind of a shapeshifter because the person that I met however many years ago that was, um, isn't quite the same person that you are now. Really? And I heard you say something about that yesterday. And so I thought, you know, it might be interesting for folks to know who you are and how you kind of came to this. That works for me. Yeah. I think it's uh, this is the part where you get to talk about yourself. Yes. I knew it would work for you. <laughs> Funny well, and, and my friend Matthew was the first person to comment on our Facebook page. So I'm so excited that we have a Facebook page. Uh, why am I excited? I made it. It's not like it's. It's not like it's an award. Well, you excite easily. <laughs> you know, I think in life, if you if you lower your expectations, life You'll is be so a lot much happier. Yeah, so, life is so much more fun. Uh, so yeah, so he did comment that a lot of people don't know me, obviously, because this is a brand new show and people here in LA know me, but out in the other parts of the country they don't. And, well, and the police know you. The police. Well, yeah, and, you know the, those lists that I'm uh -huh. on. But anyway, so uh, and your so, probation officer. Yeah. <laughs> How we love Marta. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, what do you want to know? What do you think? What do you think people would be interested to find out about me? Well, I'm. that's an interesting question because I do know some things about you, and I think that your journey has been kind of an interesting one. You, you've been talking about Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So how you got from Pittsburgh to big old L.A. and how you wound up doing gay cetera. I came out, actually, I came to Pittsburgh, I came to L.A. from Pittsburgh on a whim. <laughs> I is that is that like a plane? Yeah, it's a tiny little plane. Whim Airlines. Yeah. Uh, no, there was uh, in the in the '90s. I found a lot of people, especially in the gay community, when they hit 30, they either moved to another city or they just kind of laid down and died, or not, you know, or they got into relationships, which is kind of which is kind of the same thing. Uh, but I, I never saw people. I, I knew, and I, I say this, I'm a little facetious about it. There were people, older people that I knew, but the crowd that I hung around with. It was getting to that point where people were settling down, and I had a lot more life to, to live, I Your guess. mom and dad wanted the rec room back and wanted you to come back, didn't they? <laughs> Your mom's like, it'd make a great <laughs> sewing room if we could just get him out. Right. Dad's like, I'm not giving him the garage. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I, I when I decided to move, I did move in with my parents for three months, which was the longest three months of my life. But... I digress. Did uh, they buy you the ticket to get you to no. L.A.? <laughs> my sister did, strangely. Uh, really? Well, it was one way, too. It was one it? way. Yeah, huh, um, no, it wasn't. That's a whole other story. But uh, I was in Pittsburgh, and I called my friend Graham, who was living in L.A., and he was the brother of my best friend, and I said, you know, dude, I need to get the hell out of Pittsburgh, make a bed, I'm going to come visit. And it was September of 98, and he said, you know, if you like it when you're here, kind of look around and see if you might want to move here, because in January I need to move, and I'm looking for a roommate. So I, I said my goodbyes. I thought about it for like 10 minutes. I called him back. I said, screw the vacation. Get the apartment. I'll be there in January. And then it was like, shit, I just planned to move. <laughs> and had you, have you ever been to L.A. before you decided no. to do that? Well, once when I was like eight. So I, it, in my adult, oh, and once when I was 17. So I, I visited, but I'd never like been here as an adult. Great. So you went to Disneyland and thought you'd move to California. <laughs> you know, I always thought it would be New York or L.A. I knew I was going to end up in one of those two cities. I don't know how I knew it, but I did. I think because I grew up watching a lot of TV as a kid. And so it was you saw all... the Rose Parade and thought you liked the weather. <laughs> 
No, but it was all these stories about people living in the big city, and I just, I knew I wasn't a small town kid when I was a small town kid. I totally didn't fit in with the whole small town. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even grow up in Pittsburgh. I grew up in a small town outside of Pittsburgh. So I grew up in small town, and then I moved to a small city. And I just think I needed to be in a, I just needed to be in a giant metropolis. But Pittsburgh's gr- I, Pittsburgh has become, in the 90s, Pittsburgh didn't know what it wanted to be, and now it's become this beautiful, full-fledged city. So well, I, I've never heard you say anything like, you know, like how some people are like, oh, I hated living in bugfuck Idaho, it was boring, and all we had were cows. You're always very, <laughs> you know, complimentary of this is what I did in Pittsburgh and had a great time. Oh, I had a blast. Yeah. I had a blast. I used to do Rocky Horror in Pittsburgh. Yeah. That was my, one of my favorite things I, I did the whole time. That and my band. I did Rocky Horror, and I was in a band. Yes, that was one of those shapeshifter things, because I heard about the band, and then I think one night we were doing karaoke, Mm -hmm. and I think karaoke ought to be, like, limited to, you know, like, drunken Japanese businessmen. That's what it was intended for. (laughs) So I'm a little, you know, weirded out by it. But you got up, and suddenly it was like, holy shit, he's got pipes. (laughs) So it was a bit of a surprise. Shocking, huh? It was, yeah. Uh, Horrifying was the word. (laughs) That came to mind. But was, that was the first time I ever did karaoke. I sang Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, and I came off the stage, and like every person there said, Wow, you can sing. And I went, Why are you so shocked? <laughs> it was because like, we've heard you talk. Nobody was like, nobody That was nice. Think. It was all like, You can sing. Like, it was such a surprise. But yeah, that was, uh, I was in a few bands. The, the first band I was in was Earwig Fiend. I don't, I know, I did not pick the name, <laughs> I will not, I love my bandmates, but I did not ever like that name, but I loved my bandmates, and we had a blast, and we played a bunch of shows, and then I was in another band that kept changing, and every time we'd lose a member and add a member, we changed the name, so we were, uh, what was it, Sinwagon, which is what Sin- Sandy says to Danny at the drive-in when she slams the door in his nuts. And she goes, I don't want to be here with you in this sitting wagon. So I thought that was a great name for a band. And then we were Pimps Are Poets, and there was some story behind that. And then we became uh, Little Secrets, and I think then we broke up. So that And it never went anywhere, no, but I have a bunch secret. of... Yeah, it was a big secret. <laughs> we were really a little secret. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we never really got out of the living room, but we made a bunch of songs, and you know, it was fun. So good stuff. So it was a living room instead of a garage? We didn't have a garage. If we had a garage, we would have been a garage band. So we, <laughs> we were a living, ba- we're a living room band. Uh, so, but, it, you know, it was a lot of fun, and I love singing, and I, I love, and it helped me with my writing and writing songs and that See, sort of I, thing. I think one of the things that people know about you, even the people who don't know you really well. That is, I'm beautiful and sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, the other words, however, that were coming with it were that you were, that you're very comfortable and very entertaining on stage. Aww. So a lot of, a lot of people see you hosting events and doing things in the community and saying, oh yeah, you know, he's this really great, funny guy on stage. They don't realize how horribly depressing you are. In real life. <laughs> well, I am terribly entertaining. Yes, I know. That's what uh, <laughs> told the seat fillers when you try to get on television. Uh, I've never done that. I always thought that would be fun to be a seat filler at the Oscars. I don't know if you have to blow to you do that. You tried thing. to get on, on Let's Make a Deal. Twice. You and think all them, of this. They I'm incredibly this entertaining. Yeah. Well, so. you were dressed as a giant rabbit, too. So I, That was the big bad wolf. That didn't oh, work out. So didn't yeah. work out. <laughs> I'll tell you, let me tell you, if you ever decide to go on Let's Make a Deal, I'm wearing this huge fur coat and this big fur hat with wolf ears. I'm carrying a basket with a 
Red Riding Hood hanging out of it, which I thought was rather clever. Uh. Not realizing you're in the studio with these studio lights. It's a thousand degrees. And they're telling you, you got to keep jumping up. And even when we're not filming, we're watching you. And we might pick you. So you got to keep moving. So for like four hours, you were jumping up and down. And you're screaming. You're waving arms. I swear to God, I came home and peeled every piece of clothing off. I must have lost 10 pounds of water weight. Great. You looked like a wet Wookiee. <laughs> I felt like a wet Wookiee. They were probably filming and taking bets. He's going down. <laughs> he can't keep this up. Right, right. <laughs> Is he gonna drop? Is he gonna drop? Call him, call him, call him. He'll run down and drop dead. Right? I got nine one one on speed dial. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. I, I I have this weird fantasy that I want to be. I, I when I die, I want them to do a retrospective and find me in a gazillion points of pop culture all through history. You know, like like, like Where's Waldo? Yeah, yeah. I want to be like the Where's Waldo of pop culture. I remember uh, when I moved here, some friends of mine were friends with Matt and Trey Parker. And uh, this girl that I was friends with used to take me to all these parties and events and things that they were doing. So I've been to their ha- I've been to Matt's, uh, Trey Parker's house. I went to Matt Stone's birthday party. You know, you probably ought not to put that out in public because they'll, now they'll know where all their stuff was. I know, right? <laughs> but the funny thing is she would never actually introduce me to them. And I now I'm ballsy enough. I'll walk up and hey, who are you? Then I was terrified, so I would just sort of sit in a corner. But I thought it was really funny that I had been to so many things that after a couple years they're going to finally meet me and go, where do I know you from? <laughs> oh, I've been to your house. You know how... <laughs> so I kind of had this idea I've that... I've been to your house when I was wearing a stocking cap <laughs> and you were asleep at the time. <laughs> you have great garbage. <laughs> Tim Curry, he had great garbage too. I know someone that used... No, she never went through Tim Curry's garbage, but my friend Betty. Betty, if you're listening, I love you. Betty was uh, one of the, the people that came to Rocky Horror. Good friend of ours. She used to hang out with the cast. Loved her. She was a huge Tim Curry fan. I'm sure she still is. But... She was talking to, like, his assistant one time, and so- something was mentioned about someone being on the, the bad file. And she was like, there's a file? And she went, oh, don't worry, you're on the good file. <laughs> so she, <laughs> so she, it's official. She was an official Tim Curry stalker, but she was on the good file. <laughs> the, the, the good stalker. The good stalker, yeah. That sounds like the name of a TV show. It does. We should write that. No. Uh, <laughs> the good stalker. Because you would be a stalker. I, I don't have the patience to be a stalker. Could you see no, me sitting you have the, the motivation to be a stalker. I, I do. Can you, you see me in the bushes with pampers and a bag of snacks with a camera? It's not going to happen. You mean it's not going to happen again? <laughs> <laughs> not, We're not, not supposed to not, talk about that episode. Not since the restraining order. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So what else? So yeah, so no, you mentioned the, uh, emceeing. I emcee a lot yeah. of the events in L.A., the yeah. leather events. Yeah, and I heard you describe yourself yesterday as a leatherman, which I thought was very moving. Aww. It was very interesting. Thank you. Especially since the, you know, part of my experience of you is this very playful, puppy energy kind of person who um, was the kind of person that if you said, you know what, I mean, you've kidded about it, but it's the idea that if you had a party, invite this guy. Make sure he's there because it'll be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there was this conversation that was, oh, he has a very serious side to him as well. That was very interesting. It used to disturb people, strangely enough. No, because I'm always cracking jokes. I'm always trying to make people laugh. And when I would get in that mode of I have something to get done and I just get the serious tone... Especially when I used, where I used to work, people would go, what, "What's wrong? Nothing's wrong, but we got a deadline. You know, we got to get this shit done, or this is, you know, we're going to be in trouble." Done. So you're well, a pornographer. 
How do you have a deadline? <laughs> There's, it is a business like any other business. Nobody understands that. I don't that. think that's necessarily true. Well, it's not just like any other business, yeah, but you. you do have production deadlines, and we did a live webcam show twice a week. And I love that my job was to stand behind the camera and go, well, that was really fascinating, Reese. Now drop your pants and show me your dick. Like, that was my job. I used to, I used to be so happy that that was my job. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you'd have to have everything done by 6 o'clock, because at 6 o'clock, everything shut down. You turn the cameras on. You got the models all greased up and... <laughs> <laughs> Got the dildos out of the dishwasher. Uh, yeah, dishwasher. I wish we had a damn dishwasher. I was the dishwasher. Thank you. That's probably something you shouldn't. Have. <laughs> I, I have no secrets. No, I am. But they a, probably uh, want to have it a secret that they didn't use a dishwasher and that they left it to you. <laughs> uh, you there's know what? Some, there's some guy at the sink, and he's been there for hours. We can't understand it. No wonder you're always late. People used to always make fun because I would volunteer to clean the toys. But I'll tell you what, that's my mother and me. I, yeah, I, in my head. You know that, wait, wait, wait. No, no, let me finish my thought. <laughs> let me finish my thought. In my head, and this is where my mother comes into play, I, I was thinking, no one's going to clean them as well as I will, and I will not let someone else use a toy that is not perfectly clean. And I'm sure everyone else could have done a good enough job, but that's my mother and me. That's the way your mother was, yeah. cleaning the dildo. Cleaning the dildo. <laughs> My mother probably doesn't even know what a dildo is. That's why she was so good at it. I don't know about this ish, but I'm keeping it clean. We had Chad on. Chad Cruz uh, is a mutual friend of ours uh, for the first show. And he, we were talking about... Uh, How did he get to do the first show? He came up with the name. <laughs> I'm very strict on my criteria for guests. Is that what yeah. it is? And, <laughs> and uh, we, we started talking about leather. And, and somehow the topic came up of your, your mother knowing about... Your, your leather lifestyle. And we, he was making a statement and stopped dead. He's like, I'm sorry, the thought of my mother knowing what I do. Because, <laughs> you know, your parents can know you're into leather, but whenever they actually see what you're doing, that's a whole other ball of wax. I used to live where we had an indoor playroom and an outdoor playroom mm-hmm. and had a lot of equipment in the outdoor playroom that you kind of had to walk through to get into the house. Because we converted what would have been a carport. And it was really fun. So you'd have to walk through your playroom to get into your house. Uh-huh. I love that. Your mailman must have loved you. Uh, well, the mailman didn't come into the house. He just left the mail at the mailbox. Oh, so, okay. Um, a couple of guys dressed up as mailmen. <laughs> they were actual mailmen. Um, they would... Uh, the one exception to that was Mormon missionaries and Jehovah's Witnesses. We would open the door and be like, come on in. <laughs> Why don't we sit down here? Um, That's awesome. And so there was a very beautiful St. Andrew's cross, and we set up a sling. Um, and my um, domestic partner's parents came to visit the religious people. His father was a minister. Um, and then there, his brother and all the cousins came. And I'm sitting there as we're eating, like, this big kind of barbecue at this big long table and I'm looking and I'm thinking they're sitting here next to the sling and the St. Andrew's cross and all these things and not a one of them has a fucking clue what we're doing <laughs> they're like it's just weird furniture Ulu. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I noticed that the kids were on the sling kind of bouncing up and down I thought that's really freaky that I'm going to have to be like you know have that removed from my memory, but they didn't blink an eye. The 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 J Dubs and the Moles they were they were a little, you know, 
a little taken <laughs> aback. I remember we used to have Mr. S. Leather in Los Angeles. And one time I walked in and... You uh, worked there. I worked there. But this was when they first opened up. And they had a big uh, steel cage in the middle of the floor, a little puppy cage. And I walked in one day and Antonio, this guy that was the manager at the time, I walk in and there's a three-year-old in the puppy cage. And he looks up and goes, you better get him quick. We only got one left. <laughs> I was like, this is wrong on so many levels. Why do I have this feeling that the right wing, uh, right wing religious nut jobs are going to be like monitoring my show for all the dirt for their, I, I think they are already, well. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we were talking earlier about the pride thing. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you my, one of my favorite experiences this year. Right? Okay. Um, Because of free speech rights, people are allowed to protest at our public event. So they show up at the parade. The West Hollywood sheriffs are very careful about making sure that they are safe, that people aren't, you know, having fights in the street. But these are people who come and they say really hateful things. They have really awful banners that say hateful things. And... A number of things have happened. I've been there when people have confronted them. I've been there when people have ignored them. Um, and frankly, it's kind of interesting. It seems like there's fewer and fewer of them. Their signs are getting older and older, and their megaphone is not as powerful as it once was. But this year, one of our honorees was this young transgender girl named Zoe, who... Um, has had to fight her school district for the right to be who she is. Wow. And um, and her really wonderful, supportive mom, who, you know, I can only imagine what it's like for her as a parent when this kid comes home and says, guess what? <laughs> and um, mom did everything that she possibly could to just be incredibly supportive. So this kid has really been remarkable. So she was our youth honoree this year. And we'd had a discussion about, in the past, people, the honorees have gone down the parade in a car or something like that. This year they were going down on a float and they were going down together. And one of the other groups that was being honored um, is the the group, the Payasos, these hot Latino clowns who do a lot of fundraising and, and are really fun and have this really fabulous energy about them. And they in a very short period of time, just become an incredible group of people. And I know quite a few of them, and I had said something to them about my concern that Zoe was going to have to go past these protesters. And before I could say anything, what they said to me was, it's taken care of. And so what happened was they, um, they went on the parade float, and when they got to where these protesters were, suddenly they had this great big sheet of material, and they just held it up and completely blocked her from that whole experience. She never knew that they were there. Oh, wow. What was amazing to me was that there was already somebody else who had had that idea. And so they were blocked doubly. <laughs> and it was this kind of... You know, it, it was an interesting thing because I'm I, I, the first person to admit I'm kind of this more anarchistic than assimilationist kind of, you know, uh, is my own philosophy. So 
there's a part of me that just wants to go hammer and tongs with these folks. And um, I realized just blocking them out is the most powerful thing that you can do. You just take away their opportunity and say, yeah, you can come, you can do whatever you want, but we don't have anything to do with you. Yeah. And so here was this kid that had this really neat experience because um, she wasn't even aware of all of the, the yuckiness. Yeah. See, I, 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 I'm one of these people, I like to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and I used to love Dr. Laura Schlesinger, because I love listening to people I don't agree with, because it reaffirms what I believe in. And, I, and I listen everyone, to Christian radio because I want to know what my enemies are up to. <laughs> well, and, and they, so I remember reading, I think it was Philip Zay Farmer said, uh, the devil reads the Bible looking for loopholes. <laughs> but I think that um, I, I like to know what other people are, are saying. And I will admit, sometimes someone on the other side says something insightful that means something. It's just because someone doesn't agree with me politically or I don't agree with them politically doesn't mean that they're always wrong. Um, so I like to keep abreast of that. But when I see guys like this doing these protests, it's kind of like you see them and you get that sort of feeling. And then you're like, I'm so alive and I'm so much better than them. And yeah, they're there with their stupid little signs, but there's millions of us. There's the thousands of people in this parade, because God knows the parade is three hours long. There's thousands of us in the parade. There's, you know, thousands of people out on the street and there's five of them with their stupid little signs and their megaphone. So to me, that's like, they're, they're their own worst enemy because whatever they are yelling in their stupid little megaphone, we're all like, um, yeah, you're kind of the gnat at the picnic. Well, the problem is the gnat at the picnic is inviting you to become a gnat. What do you mean? Give up who you are and become one of us. See how much fun you can have. You can hold a sign. You can have a megaphone. You can dress really, really poorly. And you can, you know, have a bad haircut yeah. and stand in a little corral. And the sheriffs will protect you from people who are having a good time. Right. <laughs> but when we die, apparently they'll be happy and we won't. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. sure I'd buy that, so I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But yeah, they get, they get, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so that brings us to the close of another episode of Gay Cetera. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Steve, it has been a pleasure, as always. Always. As always. And I hope to have you back. Gladly. Beautiful. Uh, We will see you next time on Gaysetera. Bye. Yay! Well, I'm so glad that we were able to have Steve in some capacity here on uh, Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020 podcast. And Don, thank you so much for coming on again. Oh, thank you for having me. And, and, you know, this really means a lot to me, especially during Pride season, to have a chance for people to hear this interview again. And and it just means a lot to me. Thank you. And for those of you that are active listeners of the Leather Talk podcast, and if you liked hearing Don, Mike, and I uh, sort of... uh, talk shit with each other at the beginning and end of this episode. Uh, you Witty can- banter, I believe it's called. Witty banter. <laughs> Witty banter. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, keep your eyes out for LA's virtual gay pride coming soon, where you can find Don, Mike, and I hosting some interviews over Zoom with some very important voices within the leather community. So we hope to see you there. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay kinky. Okay.